Hey everybody, it's Anna J. Wellner with the Author Library, and I am pleased to be joined by Shane Wilson. Shane, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I'm Shane Wilson. I write contemporary fantasy slash magical realism. Uh, I dabble in playwriting. I dabble in music, et cetera, et cetera. I'm a man of all seasons, right? Renaissance man, whatever, whatever. I teach English uh, at a college here in North Carolina. And uh, yeah, that's, that's a little bit about me. Well, Shane is the author of The Smoke in His Eyes, which just reading the description of the book gave me chills. It follows a young boy named TJ. At the heart of this story, though, is actually your own love of music. Yeah, so I've always loved music. I mean, I feel like a lot of people probably say that, you know, but I, I feel like my relationship with music has always been, uh, I don't want to say different because that feels so cliche, but whenever I would hear a song and it, and it evoked an emotional response out of me, I wanted to understand why that was happening. I was always curious about that sort of otherworldly power that music and other forms of art too have to just rip us open from the inside out, right? And I wanted to understand that uh, that's the academic in me probably that wants to do that. You know, if I hear a song, you know, I always, um, I, I think of Adele, right? Who is uh, like a master vocalist. And some of her songs uh, just have this ability that she'll hit this note and it just will reverberate in a part of your soul that you didn't know existed. And I wanted to Maybe understand goosebumps. those things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the goosebump thing. I always call it, uh, it gives me tingles or it hit me in the emotion sack. Right. Uh, but I wanted to understand where that stuff came from and, and, and wanted to know more about it. But this uh, novel, The Smoke in His Eyes, is really a thought experiment because after my first novel, I was was published, I went into a real serious uh, bout with uh, imposter syndrome. Uh, who am I to write this book? Who am I to think that anybody wants to read what I have to say? And so that really brought me to this question of uh, creative impulse and the desire to share our art. Uh, where does that come from? What is it that that makes, what is it first that makes a small section of the population desire to be creative? And then of that population, what is it that derives an even smaller section to share with whoever will listen or read, right? And so I was really interested in those um, drives and in those impulses. And so The Smoke in His Eyes was born out of this idea. Um, so in the novel, there are three artists, there are two musicians and a visual artist. And I use those three characters to explore the different reasons why we get into art and why we pursue creation. Um, and I sort of ride those storylines out. So you have one character who's really interested in, um, you know, technical expression and one, char one character who's interested in financial gain and one character who's interested in just creating a masterpiece, right? So you have these different um, stimuli behind their own artistic journeys. So it is a multi-POV book. It is, it is similar to a multi-POV. It it's, okay. it's a third-person POV, uh, okay. and it really it, it latches on to two of the main characters, uh, the two musicians, uh, Leela and TJ. TJ, like you said, is, the, is the, really the protagonist. Leela is, uh, is a girl that he meets in college, and they make music together for a while, but then when they go their separate ways, the novel follows both of them into those journeys. 
Um, and then TJ meets Muna, who is sort of the source of the fantasy part of the book. She's the visual artist, but she's also a muse. Um, and so uh, in creating Muna, I wanted to create the literal embodiment of inspiration. And um, in, the, in the description of, of the novel, it says that she's made of smoke. Um, and so as he writes songs about her, she, be, she starts to evaporate and she loses mass. And so it forces you to cope with this idea of like, okay, so here's literal inspiration. What happens when it's gone? I think as uh, authors, we've all dealt with that. Um, when the, I guess I call it the, the waves and the trough. You know, when you're, when you're on, then you're, you're at the top of that wave and you're surfing it. Oh yeah. And, but eventually you'll hit that trough where the, the creativity and the inspiration kind of just leave for a little while, mm -hmm. but you do know that they'll come back. Um, yeah. But it's a, a scary thought that the muse may leave forever. Yeah. And, and what do you do with, what is left behind, right? Because ultimately right. it's memories and it, and it is inspiration. I mean, ultimately I think that the novel settles on the idea that inspiration doesn't ever leave, uh, that the vehicle of inspiration comes and goes, but inspiration lingers. Um, and it's just what you do with, with those, those lingering, you know, uh, wisps of smoke once it's gone. I love that. I love the, the analogies there. That seems like a very multi-layered kind of uh, read. Well, I think that if you think about how inspiration feels, it feels so like our relationship with it feels so fragile uh, that is, I like the idea of smoke being that stand in, right? Because you can see it, but you can't quite touch it, right? It's incorporeal. Yeah. And you can live in it, right? Like you can be in smoke and then right. you can be outside of it. And yeah, I think that it's just a really interesting visual metaphor. That's awesome. So there, and there's, uh, was there a bit of your younger years as a, as a musician yourself that helped to influence TJ's character or is music something that you've, you know, recently fallen in love with yourself? So I always wanted to play guitar, um, but never did. I, I, I took piano lessons when I was a kid, I think probably about as much as anybody takes piano lessons for like six months, right? And then I'm like, all right, well, the, this practice stuff isn't for me. Uh, and so I bowed out of that. Uh, so I can still kind of play enough piano to get myself in trouble, right? Um, I, I can make chords and stuff on it. I can play Coldplay songs uh, because that's all they are. But, uh, the, um, oops, uh, the, <laughs> but when I started writing to write this book and I settled, like, on I don't want idea, Chris Martin to, to, to comment on this, uh, yeah, if, this, if Chris, this video. you're welcome. If Chris Martin comments, if he decides to beef <laughs> with author library over that, then, you know, then you have me on every week and I'll insult somebody different every time. Um, no, I actually really do like Coldplay's music, but a lot of it is just kind of banging on chords. Um, but that, you know, that works. That's all I can play on guitar, uh, which is an instrument that I picked up because I was trying to write about a musician. I had never played guitar, but I had always romanticized it. It felt like something that was a little bit more accessible for whatever reason than, than the piano. And so when I started writing The Smoke in His Eyes, I bought a cheap guitar and just started looking at YouTube videos and figuring out how to make chords and stuff. Cause I wanted to be able to add that texture to the novel I wanted to know what the strings felt like 
tearing into my skin, you know, my fingertips. And I want to know what the different chords felt like to make. And I wanted to understand the anatomy of the instrument so that I could talk about it in a really uh, like, you know, familiar way. And uh, then as I think most musicians uh, can attest to, I put together three or four chords and played a song that I had heard a million times on the radio. Uh, and it was like unlocking a magic trick. Uh, I finally understood something more about music than I had that I had understood before, right? Not, I didn't necessarily understand yet how it evoked that emotional response, but I knew now how to make it, right? Like I could now put it together. And I think from there, it's just, uh, you know, it's like um, reverse engineering to try to figure out how those pieces fit together and, and how they work to, to create that reaction. We both have a love of music, so uh, we sh we share that. And uh, so I'm, I'm, guys. Uh, he actually um, has Shane is uh, has a band called Sequoia Rising. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, I mean, not only did you just pick up the guitar, but you said, "Why not?" I'm. Let's go for it, right? Let's yeah. Go for it. Let's let's create. Let's start a band. Yeah, um, it's uh, Sequoia Rising is a two-man band. Uh, sometimes we have a female vocalist that that comes in, uh, but it's me and my buddy Jerry. He plays some percussion stuff, and uh, I do guitar and vocals, and uh, and and the lyrics and all that stuff. And I think it really, I think if I were to go back and do it all again, and this is no shade on any of those people, but I'd probably just go to go the solo route. Uh, but I was, I, this was my first time ever playing an instrument in front of anybody, right? So I felt like I needed a support system, some, somebody that I could sort of fall back on, you know? Uh, and a band really gives you that. Um, and so it's interesting how that endeavor came together. I wrote, the very first song I ever wrote is called um, Before We Fade Away. And it's a song that's mentioned by name in this novel. And um, the very first shows that I ever played uh, were solo shows, they were book readings. And along with the book reading of this novel, I would sort of play a soundtrack uh, as I read through it, right? See, see, these are some of the songs that sort of inspired the book. And then here's the song that TJ spends the entire book trying to write. Um, and it just gives yeah. it like this really nice depth, right? The, that experience. Yeah. Um, and so I love that song. It's it's uber simple. It's probably like the first song anybody would write on the guitar, you know, but I think it's really pretty. I think the, the words are kind of nice. Um, and that's really it. When, it. when I talk about my music, I'm a storyteller. It is emphasis on the lyrics, right? Uh, the music is sort of secondary. It, some stories need to be written in novels and some stories need to be sung in songs. Um, and uh, this album that I put out in... Um, March uh, is called of all the things I've ever said. I mean, this the most is a collection of 10 original songs. Uh, I recorded uh, alone basically uh, during the pandemic and uh, they're all story songs, you know, uh, and that song uh, before we fade away is on that is on that record. Uh, and it's on Spotify. You can check it out. It's under Sequoia rising of all the things I've ever said. I mean, this the most it's the most recent Shane Wilson property to find its way into the, into the world. <laughs> There you go, guys. Definitely check that out. And uh, so it, going back to the book, though, it, it, you mentioned that it's infused with magical elements. How do these come into play during the book? Is it just um, the muse in and of herself or is, are, are there some additional magical elements that find 
their way in as well. Yeah. I, uh, in college, I read a lot of magical realism. Uh, I did my master's thesis on Salman Rushdie uh, and Midnight's Children. And so I was reading a ton of that stuff, right? Very realistic settings, realistic characters, but here's a sprinkle of sort of surrealism or, or magical mythic, mythical sort of stuff. And I love that idea, right? I really love dealing with real people and, and like contrast or uh, juxtaposing them against a backdrop of something a little bit weird. Right. Uh, and so in this novel, uh, Muna, the muse is kind of the, the main source of the magic, but um, as a child, TJ also suffers uh, a traumatic event Um and this unlocks magic in him as well. His vision is flooded. Uh, his his vision is flooded with colors, and his uh, really it's just like sensory overload. He gets sounds, and he gets colors and shapes and everything. And it's almost like it's trying to block him from the trauma that he's uh, enduring. But then throughout his life, anytime he gets into an emotionally heightened moment, this stuff all floods back over him, right, and blurs him out. And what Muna is able to give him as a muse is a way through that. Um, she helps him to see the art in all of that chaos. And he's able, she's able to teach him how to write his way through it. Um, so to me, the magic always uh, has to play a significant part in the, in the story, right? Like it, it's not magic for magic's sake. It's, it's something, right. the magic, the magic reveals something new about these people that's why I love this genre so much because in realistic fiction, your hands are tied to realistic fiction, right? You can only do things that are possible in the world, but in magical realism or contemporary fantasy, you still have that same cast of characters, very realistic people, but now you're able to see what they would do if they were forced to endure something that we will never be able to endure, right? Or never have to endure. Um, and I think that there's that, gives us a really interesting way into the human experience. It certainly does. And it, it makes you think on a deeper level, especially uh, as an artist yourself. Um, and maybe it will provoke thought and other people who um, are curious or have the passion for music or for another form of, of art, like writing or of painting or something like that. So Absolutely. I mean, this idea of creativity is sort of the driving force behind probably a lot of my work. I mean, all of it is either where does it come from or it's an exploration of my own creativity, right? And yeah. and how it manifests itself. I think that's, yeah, I'm, I'm so very curious myself about where some ideas come from. And uh, there are times when I'm literally driving down the road and have this way random thought. Yeah. And I'm like, that'd be kind of a cool idea to start a book or I'm vacuuming or doing the dishes. And it's like, it, it does kind of make you wonder, like, is there, um, is there this, this consciousness of thought to creativity in and of itself? And I think there's actually a book that explores that from a psychological point of view, uh, the, the, uh, I said great earlier, uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, but, but how creativity has its own essence, its own yeah. kind of being. 
Yeah, I mean, there. I'm sure that if you were to do brain scans of someone who's having like an epiphany or or like an inspirational moment, like the fire, like you could biologically track that probably, probably. like where that happens in the brain and those things. The firing of the neurons. Right. Yeah. I think as artists, uh, we sign up uh, to be translators uh, of the human experience. We all, I think inspiration also, and this is where all of this, all of these thought experiments and everything have brought me to. This is my answer right now, right? My answer is that it comes from lived experience and in the hands of the artist, it becomes a catharsis or it becomes a moment of learning for everyone, right? As artists, our job is to translate the lived experience for the masses so that they can make sense of death and grief and trauma. Um, and uh, we are, you know, uh, there's a character in this book, Rasselas, uh, which was written by Samuel Johnson in the um, long 18th century in England. And Imlac is, is a poet. And he describes the job of the poet to the main character, Rasselas. And he says, the job of the poet is to be the legislature of mankind, right? It's to articulate the laws that govern human experience. Uh, it's to uh, describe the sublime as all, as well as the ugly, right? Like we have to describe everything if we're going to be artists. And uh, in doing so, we give voice to abstractions, right? We make, we make what was once abstract tangible. Uh, and that is a beautiful power to have uh, and a, a scary one in a lot of ways, right? Because in order to do be. these things, we have to live in it, you know? Um, or recall right and and so yeah it is uh it's a lofty calling that we have as artists but i think that it's something that's important yeah and you know anthropologically i mean we began as storytellers it really is something that is innate within yeah. us to it's an evolutionary ask. trait right like early on we told stories in order to survive right you the know, food is over there, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. You know, hey, I was walking through the woods and I saw this really scary animal and I think it would have killed me. So from now on, we should probably stay away yeah. from that. And from there, we got scary stories around the campfire. Absolutely. You know, it's it, 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 really is, um, it really is an ingrained part of who we are. I don't think anyone out there can say that they're not a storyteller in some Absolutely. kind of way. Whether or not, yeah, because I think once you live through something, yeah, re retelling it to other people is a way of making it make sense. Exactly, and uh, and I I know that I have drawn on a lot of personal experiences, um, and you know, for that reason, I can honestly say that you know, when people will ask and say, if you could change one thing about your life, what would it be? And I can't say anything because everything that I've had to go through or endure or experience uh, has all been in some shape, form or fashion, an inspiration for things that I will write in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of my favorite stories about writers is um, when Salman Rushdie, and I know this because I wrote my master's thesis on him. So I had to read so much about that guy. Uh, but when he uh, was, he had just published Midnight's Children and he went to a dinner and Kurt Vonnegut was there. And Kurt Vonnegut was well into his career at this point. Right? And uh, Kurt Vonnegut said, um, uh, Salman Rushdie, are you really serious about this writing thing? 
And Rushdie says, yes, sir, I think I am. And he goes, well, then you're going to have to figure out what you're going to do when you run out of stories to tell. And that is such an interesting and a terrifying thought. We never run out of stories. I don't think we just, I think that when you start writing, you have one great idea. Right. And then you start to worry that you're going to run out, but they just start to come, you know? And it's usually, like I said, when you least expect it, like yeah. doing the dishes or folding yeah. the laundry. And it's those lightning strike kind of moments that if you don't take advantage of them and, you know, kind of jot down some notes, then so I always have, I don't know if you're the same way, but I always have some form of whether or not it's just, you know, making a, a, a video, a, a video on my phone yeah. or, you know, a audio into my phone yeah. or texting myself. I do all of that stuff for sure. Yeah. Especially with the music, uh, the audio oh, yeah. recording thing is super nifty. Um, yeah. and, uh, they have apps, I, they have apps now that, um, I don't know how I ran across this. I think I was looking for a, an app for my daughter mm. and I don't know how I stumbled upon this, but if you, uh, download it and you sing into it, then it will actually give you the notes that you oh, sang. Cool. Yeah, I uh, there's one for guitar where you can plug in a song and it'll give you the chords to the to the song, right? Because I was trying to do a cover song of one of my friend's originals, and um, so I plugged it into there and it gave it to me. Um, but you know, I uh, I did a collaboration with a friend uh, who's a spoken word poet, and we did a collaboration album. So it's like a concept album that tells a story about this guy that goes up into the mountains looking for the meaning of life. Um, it's called the Blue Ridge Connection. And so my friend who's a percussionist and a spoken word poet did uh, wrote poems for it that kind of describes the, the the story itself. And then I wrote songs to to explore that those the story as well. But we we rented this cabin uh, in well, we there's this cabin I go to every summer in the North Carolina mountains. And we it's not the room. evil dead cabin, is it? No, it's not. <laughs> it, it is not. It is a beautiful cabin, though it is very scary because it's uh, very isolated. But uh, we were in this room for four days and we wrote and recorded this whole thing. But the the my prized possession is not even the record. It's hours of recordings because I recorded everything on my phone, the entire process of every single song. So there's like an hour and a half of just us talking through the way the song is supposed to sound. Here's So you get really early drafts of the songs and things like that. It's really cool. That is really really cool and i knew i had to record it because we were doing it all so fast that once it came time to record it right. for real for real i needed like reference points to look back on that is that is so neat uh well i, I have had just an absolute blast talking with it, you it went so fast today. i know right <laughs> um but guys definitely check out shane's um stuff on amazon all of your all of your books on amazon Mm -hmm. And uh, also make sure to check out his uh, new album that just came out from Sequoia Rising. Uh, what is the title again of the album? It's called Of All the Things I've Ever Said, I Mean This the Most. Of all the things I've ever said, I mean this the most. Yes. Um, probably easier to just search Sequoia Rising. That's a lot of words. And I know that. And I love how wordy the title is, to be honest. <laughs> Any special reason why? So, I mean, I can get into it if you want. I don't know how up against the what. Yeah. I mean, so first of all, I was trying to come up with the name of it. 
and I was doing the, at first I was doing the like self-titled thing, right? It'll be Sequoia Rising self-titled album. And then I thought, well, here's some song titles that I kind of like. Ask the Whiskey is, is, is a song off of there. That could be a good album title, you know? So I was going down that line. And then I started thinking about some of my favorite album titles. Uh, and there's this guy named David Ford out of the UK who wrote, uh, who put out an album while I was in college. It's called, I sincerely apologize for all the trouble I've caused. Um, which I thought is a really cool album title because it just kind of flies in the face of convention, right? Like album title should be short and snappy, but this album title actually says something. And as I looked at all of the songs on the album and the album is pretty reflective and and pretty confessional and, you know, it's very personal. Um, I thought of all the things I've ever said, because I've said a lot of things, right? I've written books. I've said a lot of things, but of all the things I've ever said, I mean this the most because this is the most personal and the most real. The title is almost a synopsis. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, you got me. (laughs) We on that level like that. Shane, it has been an absolute blast having you on and thank you so much for sharing your your passion for The Smoke in His Eyes, which guys is out now. And then um, the new album that you have coming out. Uh, I'm just uh, so grateful to have the time to talk with you today. Yeah, thank you really. so much. It's been awesome. Guys, if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss out on new and upcoming things. And uh, Shane, just thank you again. Thank you. All right, everybody stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you again soon. Bye.